This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's got stuff to say to us about Ruth. So we talked about blame. Got you just kind of thinking about it. You ever said words like this? We should never have listened to that recruiter. This was the worst single decision we have ever made. Why did I go to this school? Why did we move to this part of the globe? Why am I in North Carolina? Some of you may be asking that today. <laughs> How did I get here? The interesting thing about Ruth as we go in, so you can open up, we're going to Ruth 1-1, is I want you to face this unique challenge. As you look to Ruth, there is a part of people who would say, it's Elimelech's fault. He brought us to Moab, the blame game. See, the hidden side of Ruth that we don't always talk about because we get to redeeming and we'll get to all those little things is it's Elimelech's fault. If we'd never left, things were better. I've discovered in life one of the great things that happens as we get older is there are times that we really, really, really loved and we desperately want to go back. I mean, really want to go back there. And there are parts of Moab that for Ruth, for Naomi, and for the rest of the family that see three men die in such a short time period have to think, whose fault is it? Elimelech's. He brought us here. He was the one that made the decision. We needed to leave where we at least had family. So in we go. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. So as we're set there, we're going to unpack and look and see a little more about this man, Elimelech. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. That's how it starts. That man is Elimelech. The whole story of Ruth would not have a setting if Elimelech didn't say, round up the wagon, we're going. There aren't wagons, I get it. It's an American icon that just kind of sits in my head. So they're not rallying up wagons to move forward, though they may have, I get it, they could have had a wagon. I've already got you hung up somewhere, I didn't want you hung up. But here's what I want you to do as you move forward. Why do they leave? They leave because of a famine. So this blame game that you may be blaming someone else for having brought you to North Carolina, and you kind of wonder, it was better when I was in Ohio. It was better when I was in California. It was better when I was in Canada. Mexico, Spain, Australia, anywhere but here. It was better when I was in Texas. It was better when I was in New York. You pick your state, your location. You can fill in the blank. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen, everyone who's looking at me right now, you are in, yeah, you're in North Carolina. I cannot change that at this moment. You're here, and there are different reasons that bring you. But the truth is going to Moab isn't the problem. You're like, I, we weren't talking about Moab. I know. But in Ruth, there's this idea, if I can just keep myself from going to my Moab, if I can just stop somebody from sending me to that, to that Moab place, my life won't fall apart like those who listen to Elimelech. I mean, he sent them to Moab. Well, here's what I want you to consider. In Genesis 12, Abraham goes to Egypt. Why? 
Don't worry. It's open note, and it's really big, and it rhymes with, yeah, it rhymes with famine. It does. It's actually the word famine. That's why he goes. He goes to Egypt because of a famine. What I'm sharing with you is there are patterns of people leaving because of famine to go to other places. Elimelech's not a crazy man. He's not doing something that seems wrong, and I'll keep painting the picture for you. Isaac went to Gerar of the Philistines during a famine in Genesis 26, verse 1. So now you've got Abraham did it, Isaac did it. Get ready, it gets even better. Jacob went to Egypt at God's command in Genesis 46, 1 to 7. So now we got the big three, right? Because we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who all left their homeland to leave when God said it because of famine. So famine's a pretty good reason to leave when you got no food, you can go. Now I start this way because Elimelech's not the problem. And Moab's not the problem. Believe it or not, Moab is actually, this is weird, is the solution. But when you look at it, you're like, yeah, but it's not Israel. It's foreign people. It's Kamish and other pagan gods. You're like, who are they? Trust me, they're the, they're the gods that the Moabites were worshiping. And they're not the God we worship. And that's a problem. But that's not the problem for Elimelech. He's actually going there as his forefathers in the faith have gone. Now, in the next week, as you're reading through First and Second Samuel, I'm just going a little bit just to kind of give you another precursor. Some of you have already read this, but it is actually in 1 Samuel 22. David actually hides his parents in, don't worry, open note and really contextual. What region would David hide his parents? Moab. Actually hides them there. So if Moab's the problem, then we're going to have to kind of find these different issues because it seems like leaving when there's a famine, using Moab isn't the problem. I bring all this to you to let you know the idea that someone brought me to my Moab, and it's called Apex, North Carolina, and this is where my life's fallen apart. The story of Ruth is not about avoiding Moab. The story of Ruth is something completely different. It's about experiencing God while you are in your Moab. It is about trusting that God is with you even though you're in your Moab, which right now is North Carolina. Because you are on a journey. You are wandering. Some of you are like, no, 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 I don't want to move anymore. I've moved too much. Okay, I, that's fine. But if we were to lay out your life, most of you did not grow up here. And even if you grew up here, how many of you literally grew up in the town of Apex? Okay, yeah, I know there's a couple. Yeah, one. It's crazy as a couple of people looking. Who is it? We've got one. Like a resident historian. This is amazing. And silently they're like, you invaders. Uh, I mean, here we are. But it, I mean, it's unique. Because here we are. But as we think about it, it's not getting out of Moab. It's what's God doing in Moab. We continue as we turn forward. Go to verse 16 and 17. Still in chapter 1. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave. See, at this moment, we've already, the story's moved forward, and it moves so fast in Ruth. Elimelech is dead. Both of the men who married into Ruth's daughters are dead. And Ruth says, do not urge me to leave or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God, where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more so if anything but death parts me from you. 
she probably would have moved even to Apex, North Carolina, had Naomi said it. I share it because life will take you different places. Few of you actually were born thinking, Apex, that's where I'm headed. I didn't. I grew up thinking I'd be where I grew up. It was years later that I realized that maybe I wouldn't be where I grew up. And then you get a little older and sometimes you think, I don't want to go back where I grew up. Like That transition happens and then sometimes you always have a heart to say, I want to go. I want to go back. I want to see it. I want to find my way back. Ruth didn't want to leave the family she married into. We unpacked a lot of that this morning in Bible class just before the service and looking to that. But Ruth returns to Israel with Naomi and how much else? They have nothing. They sold it all off. Remember the blame game? We thought leaving Israel was a bad thing. Let's add a little more to the Elimelech problem. Elimelech had this really good idea, which was brilliant at the time, to sell off all of the rights he had to the harvest on his family's portion of land. He sold that for good reason, though. When he went to Moab, he needed what to buy food? He needed money. He did the right thing at the time. But if you're Naomi coming back and Elimelech's dead, you have no one to now work the ground and you have no inheritance to actually get you anything, why in the world did you leave Moab? Because at least in Moab, Ruth had connections. The problem is what? Moab doesn't have anything now for Naomi and Ruth because the God they love, the God they serve, is not worshipped there in Moab. They need to go back to a place that now has no earthly, financial, logical place for them to go. There's a lot that has to happen for things to go good. But along the way, they meet a man named Boaz. Now, rather than say, man, you were with that Elimelech guy? Yeah, he took you guys to Moab. What a waste. Now, you think I'm making fun of Elimelech. I'm not. Think in your life when someone has gone away, went for a job, went because it seemed right, and they come back home, and now they have all these challenges in their life. It seemed right at the time. A friend of the family started a business uh, outside uh, of D.C. It was this real big, kind of like another version of Costco. Started his own store. It was amazing. The whole family put everything into it. You know where this is headed. Oh, man. He goes upside down so fast, burns his house, all of his savings, everything he ever had. Everything. And his in-laws and his parents, everybody was heaping everything on trying to save this thing. And you know what I think when I actually at times, I mean, I'm human, trust, I'm a pastor, but I'm human. And I look and I'll see him and I'm like, man, what a terrible decision you made. If only you hadn't gone to, get ready, Moab. I mean, you were too smart. You were too smart to do that. Yeah, but all the signs looked right. It was a growing area. Everyone was coming in. There was no way that this could be a problem. People were certainly moving in. There was no way this could be a problem. Until he lost everything and went bankrupt with young kids and had to take a position of strength and then become just the CPA was and work underneath somebody else and basically have to put his head between his legs for years to get himself back out. Trust me, it's pretty easy to look at him and say, Elimelech, 
You made the mistake on your family. It's not about avoiding Moab. It's about realizing who's there with you in the midst of these struggles. Boaz says this when he hears of what Ruth is doing, sticking with Naomi. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, the blessing of Boaz speaks of a grand narrative, the narrative that we've been reading from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, even Judges last week, still has God saying, I'm listening to people even as they're rebelling. Because in Ruth, we're still in the period of what? This is the judges. So all that abysmal, atrocious stuff of last week, that's actually where we are historically. But Boaz knows there's something bigger. It's something that I think, at least for me, the the best way I can see it is God's love for his people even in the storm. Matthew 23 counts it this way. Stay there in Ruth. We're going to flip back, but I just want to share with you kind of where things are unpacking. This is Jesus speaking, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. And stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as hens gather a brood under her wings? You hear the little echo of, of Boaz? Wanting to gather someone under his wing. And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. <laughs> Welcome to Naomi's life. Welcome to Ruth's life. For I tell you, you will not see me again unless you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That there is someone coming. Now, trust me, Jesus is almost 1,300 years in the future at this point. But I'm sharing with you, as Boaz is talking, he is aware that the promise will take place. Jesus echoes even Boaz's words that God's going to take people under his wing. He will care for them. He will make sure that they are not left. And Boaz watches out for Ruth because he's heard how she cared for a mother-in-law. Now, we unpacked really in great depth this morning this idea of redemption, of what Boaz does. But what's important to remember is Boaz doesn't yell at Naomi, doesn't yell at Ruth. No one's actually upset in the book. Isn't that really fascinating? It just reads like this perfect thing that everyone knew stuff was going to play out. With maybe one little exception, Ruth goes for the name change, right? (laughs) Not Ruth, Naomi. Naomi says, ah, don't call me Naomi, just call me Mara which means bitter. Man, could you imagine actually asking your name to be changed to bitter? Because you just think everything's gone. Everything. I want the whole world just to call me bitter. You ever meet a woman who wants to be called bitter? Some of you are like, I met a woman who was bitter. I'm not going to tell you who, but I met someone. She wants the whole world to know that it's, that it's, it's done. It's over. And Ruth, the Moabitess, the foreigner, is the one who goes, I'm going to stick with you, bitter woman. I know. I know you're like, well, this sounds a little more weird when you think about it that way. Because the fact that she's been introduced to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, a God who has many times told people they might leave the promised land, that they might leave what God has given to go find something else in the midst of famine, just as Elimelech did, that that God will not forsake. That God will not give up. For Naomi and Ruth, they were in need of a redeemer. They needed Boaz to buy back the estate. So someone that Boaz truthfully didn't know all that well. Instead, Ruth is gathering grain as she's just picking scraps. 
This is not something that we do all that often in today's society. Uh, it's called gleaning. Have any of you ever gleaned? I've actually done it in two different occasions. I've done it with sweet potatoes and I've done it with apples. Uh, I mean, it still happens, but people leave behind the remnant uh, and they let others come in and actually live off of that. And it was actually a requirement. You had to leave some because there were people who didn't have the means. So she's there, comes back to Naomi and goes, yeah, so I was gleaning today, this uh, guy named Boaz. And Naomi's like, ding. Did you say Boaz? Relative. Which you're like, okay, distant relative. Maybe they'll have you over for dinner once. That's not how it works in Israel. Instead, this relative is someone you can approach and say, I want you to pay an exorbitant amount of money to buy back an estate that won't be yours that you will have no rights to, that will help two people you didn't know before they came gleaning in your field because God's asked you to. And you know what Boaz says? I'm in. I like this. I like that God has a system that lets me be a part. And that's why, as we read from Ruth 2, he goes, the Lord's going to see right for you the way you've loved. And Boaz is the one Little did he know there in Ruth too, right? Little did he know. He's like, man, the fact that you're doing this, and later on, he has the opportunity to live up to his word, and Boaz, a man of his word, when offered, he actually has to probably say something that troubles him. Truthfully, ladies, there's someone even closer. There's another person. I, I may not be given the privilege of giving up of my own to care for you. We gotta go to the other person first. And the other person is approached, the one who is closer in the line, the one who has the chance to redeem all this. And he says, no, 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 can't do it. Turns out my 403B, my 401K, and my other things, if I pull out money right now, I take a 10% federal penalty because I didn't put enough in in the last tax year. Had you told me three months before, I could have, I could have. I mean, and I mean, I, I really would have. But the penalty is a little too much, and I'm sorry about this, I can't. You do understand, right? Because it would hurt me financially. I love you, though. You know what that sounds like, right? <laughs> you don't love me at all. You love dollars. You love liras. You love pesos. You love pounds. You love any form of currency you want. Now, you can name the international currency you want. If you are so attached there that family takes a second back seat when someone asks, there's a challenge. Do you trust that God's big enough that he's actually going to take care of you or are you going to say, Elimelech did it? Who's Naomi aren't saying that? Moab did this to us. No, Naomi just slowly moves and goes, really, Boaz, God's got that preparation for me that he actually had you gleaning in the most random of places, Boaz's place. And I mean, we don't get this, but maybe she's like, Boaz, I think he was at that birthday party 48 years ago. I think he was in the back row. Yeah, he's the guy that tripped me. He was running around through the floor. Let's go talk to Boaz. Let's see what he'll do. You see, God has bigger things in store for us than we could ever imagine. Ruth 4, 6. Then the Redeemer. See, now we want to hear right from the mouth of the one who said no. Then the Redeemer said I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Oh, you cannot? Or you choose not to? Because it would, isn't this great? 
and you think political correctness only happens today. Lest I impair my own inheritance. I don't love you that much. I don't think God's big enough. I don't think if I give you this money, if I lay out a portion of my estate, that God's going to take care of me. I don't think God's got enough God to do that. Because I didn't go to, come on, you know they're thinking it. I didn't go to Moab. You did. I didn't start that business. That was your fault. You should have known better. Don't come asking for me. Everybody's got that family member. I know you do. I know you do. Every family does. The family member who every couple of seasons comes by and says, well, you, you are, you've always been my favorite. <coughs> I mean, really, you have. Um, and I'm starting this new thing, and I want to help you get in on the ground floor. It's only $5,000 a share, and I'm hoping you'll buy four. Just four. You've already done the math in your head going, no, you asked for $20,000. No, 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 just four shares. Now, please, I'm not trying to make Boaz sound weird or, or Naomi. I'm trying to make sure you understand how much you can be like the person who, when they came back, would have said, I don't want to impair my inheritance. Most of us want to read ourselves as Boaz. That's who you want to be in the story. You would have easily done that. Let's hear again what that is. Giving up money that you will have no return on, that won't even be in your family line, because it's going to be in Elimelech's line, and Malhan's, like, it's not even in your, like, it's not even like, sweet, did you see how that paid off? That neat statue that's downtown actually says, Merker. Yeah. It's not. It's going to say Barton. Moses is like, why'd you give them the money? Why, why did you give the Bartons the money? We wanted the statue. You know, the statue. See, and it got quiet because you just started to realize, I don't know if I'd do it. I don't know if I could be Boaz. I don't know if I could give up that much and get zero credit. Now, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. I know but you can only do that. Why? Because you know that in the story of Ruth, it points to someone even bigger. See, the story of Ruth is a sacrifice of redemption, and it moves us to something that Ruth the Moabitess had heard about from Naomi, that there was someone bigger than anything she could imagine, that there was a greater kinsman redeemer who was going to come to the world and offer something that no one could fathom. And it started for us this morning in Luke 9. You see, in Luke 9, as we are there on the figure, on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is a weird word, right? You're like, Transfiguration Sunday, what a weird thing. No, no, no. It's the day where not only does the Lord get transfigured, he changes shape, but our idea of who the Lord is hopefully changes as well. That he's doing great things. That the promised one, first told in Genesis that one would come and deliver the people, is going to now find himself on earth living and breathing and dwelling with us. This is Luke 9. Now, about eight days after these sayings, we just heard this, but this is right after Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I was working with confirmation students this past Wednesday. We had just hit this passage. And let me know, in Matthew, it's Matthew 16. It is the high point. That sounds weird. It's the high point in like narrative 
of Matthew's gospel, and then it all goes where? Golgotha. That's where it heads. Right after that, once the secret's out, I'm the Christ. It's all death. Same thing here. Now, eight days after, they hear that Peter's now said, you're the Christ. This is what happens eight days later. Eight days later at the sayings, he took with him Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he's praying, the appearance of his face is altered and his clothes become dazzling white. Jesus is different. They're seeing the side of him they'd never seen. He's not just a teacher. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he's about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That's crazy. Two people appear with him casually. Now, let's just be clear. Where are Moses and Elijah? Yeah, they're dead, and now they're alive. But I'm pretty certain they were dead. Some of you are like, well, Elijah had the whole went up into heaven, whirlwind, so he, at least he's gone, but now he's back. These were Old Testament people who were back, and guess what? They're not dead. They actually, they rose. That's pretty cool. They rose, and now they're there in spirit there, but they seemingly have a human form. So God's kind of working something for them to say, hey, uh, your presence here so that people would realize that we don't worship the God of the dead. We worship the God of the living. This is what, when we get to Job, you're going to hear the same thing. This, this is kind of a thing that carries. This is what Ruth, believe it or not, actually heard. This is why she's so excited in the face of Naomi. She was the God that you're telling me about is nothing like any other God. My family, Moab, everything, leave it all behind. I'm following this. Death is the only thing that should take me away from you, Naomi. Because the God you've introduced me to is worth everything. Any cost, nothing should keep me from seeing you protected until the end. But like Boaz, who gave himself for Ruth, Jesus is willing to go the ultimate step. Verse 34 to 36. And as he's saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Do you know why they're afraid? Because Moab's coming. No one likes going into clouds that they don't understand. Ever. Remember being a kid the first time you actually witnessed either a blizzard that was so much you couldn't see and your parents were driving? Or the time you had fog so thick you didn't know how to walk and your parents are driving. I mean, there's lots of driving themes for me growing up. Like these things, are, what are you doing? Or remember when you're on an interstate and you're in college? Don't worry, it's me, but you'll get the story. And you're on I-95 and it's a whiteout. And you have to keep driving. Why? Because someone behind you may not know you're in front. And you are praying very, very hard going, I'm keeping moving, but I'm only moving at a pace I think I can stay on the road and at a place, because even if I pull off, what might happen? Someone else may hit me there. And you're going, Moab, Elimelech. I did not scream Elimelech at that point, just so you know. <laughs> you're like, man, you were really trying to be a pastor way too young. If you're like using Elimelech as like your curse word. No, I was not. As he's saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found. I hope you realize this is the sweetest part of that whole story. 
alone. Jesus is greater than Moses. You need no greater teacher. You need no greater prophet. Elijah is gone and Moses is gone. You just have one. Listen to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May you realize whatever Moab you're traveling through, whatever Elimelech has crossed your life, God knows where you are right now at this hour. He's got every hair on your head numbered, and he's watching you. He's watching over you. To God be all honor and glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.